my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Koto, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, which as always is brought to you by the great team over at Sports Fuel. You've heard me say it a million times already, but if you haven't, um, they've hooked my listeners up with a discount code CWK. So I do encourage you to go and check out their website. And if you find anything that you like, add it to your cart and remember to use my code at the checkout to save yourself some cash. But for this podcast, I felt like I wanted to do a bit of venting. And so I was thinking about guys who I think would um hold their own uh, on my podcast i try to get some fresh faces on um, and i've been fortunate to get to know the man matt fowler this year playing for the mighty obu scallywags and yeah basically the run of this position to be me venting about uh, the irish taking down the all blacks at home um our first series loss in 28 years but yeah i'll stop here i'll throw the mic to my guest maddie um mate i guess first question is what went wrong oh Start with the easy one, Kingy. What didn't, what went right, I would say, is the kind of first port of call for me, bro. Like, I think the the thing that stuck with me as you think about it in the shower or in bed and play it through your mind over and over was just the just the fact that we weren't better in any facet of the game. Like, we're so used to the All Blacks, you know, getting out of jail on the back of their good attack or some fantastic D or a great individual performance, but. I struggled across the three tests to actually point to one area of the game that we were better than the Irish at. Like we had some good moments. We had a good quarter, like second quarter up in Auckland um, where we ran right, ran in three tries. Um, we had some good periods down in Dunedin. But all of that was punctuated by the fact that I think the Irish beat us up at the set piece. They won the contact zones. They were more skillful and more magic with the ball in hand. And they attacked us when we had the ball too. So... All of those things put together, I think we got beaten in every single facet of the game. And it's something that the wider rugby public in New Zealand are having to accept. And they're doing a tough job of it because, of course, they've all turned on on the big fella, Ian Foster, and by definition, sort of the guys surrounding him, assistant coaches and captains. So where did it go wrong, to answer your question? I think everywhere. We're just lacking a bit of cohesiveness, lacking a clear plan that's A, going to work, and B, going to be implemented. So that's to say we're... we're we're struggling across the park and then we're only three tests into what is a long test winter. Mm, I think you hit the nail on the head there, bro. But I think the hardest thing to accept as an All Blacks fan is the fact that at the end of last year, the excuse was, you know, it was a long tour. The boys had been on the road for three months yep. and you're going up against two world-class sides who were starting their rugby campaign in the build-up to the Six Nations. But the shoe's on the other foot now. You know, Ian Foster had the last eight months to prepare for the series. The Irish are coming off the back of their Six Nations. So this is the end of their um, year of rugby. Um, a lot of their players were tied up um, in the Leinster side that played in that uh, the rugby championship or whatever, like the Heineken Cup, yeah, whatever it's called over there. So they were what we went through um, at the back end of 2021. And like you said, they just outplayed us. I mean, the the, the crazy thing to me, like when I go back and, I, and I've watched all the games um, multiple times is the fact that we considered a try in the first six minutes in every single game. Yeah. Like that's, think, yeah. Like, I mean, you, you point out the fact that we were beaten to the punch um, at, at every facet, but you'd think that, you know, an all-black side, you know, it's their first couple of games of the year. You know, granted, you know, things aren't going to go well um, or go to script in the first test because you're still trying to figure stuff out. And I think that that second quarter, like you mentioned, probably masked 
a lot of the shortcomings um, from the coaching group um, and even from the players from an execution point of view. Um, because, I mean, there were a couple of times in that first test where I'm like, fuck, the Irish actually have us figured us ha- have us figured out here. And I don't know for the life of me what the how they seem to be getting over our game line at will. I mean, the, the, the handling in the Fords, especially in comparison to our pack, yeah, it's fucking, you know, it's daylight. But yeah, it's just, yeah, the slow starts, beating to the punch at every facet. You know, we, we're playing in front of our crowd. You know, that should be enough to get us over the line. And then even the ill discipline, I know that a lot of people have, have pointed to that. But when I went back and checked the stats, the ill backs actually conceded less penalties in this last test. And they were on equal footing in game two. So I'm not sure, you know, how much of the blame you can be can be put uh, on the All Blacks ill-discipline um, in comparison to, like, what you mentioned, just being outplayed full stop. Yeah. And I was at the game on – it was quite good being there live. I'm used to watching it on TV. You don't necessarily appreciate the wider facets of the game um, until you are there live. First point I'd make is to the artists of was in the media saying – we wanted to start well. We conceded a try within the first three minutes. But not only that, that was a turn down three points. And normally you're used to sides coming over to New Zealand, wanting to get some runs on the board, take the three, take another three. Maybe we're down 6-0 after five minutes, say. But that very penalty, first penalty of the game, they could have thrown it over. They kick for the corner. They push over a try. And all of a sudden, you've landed the first punch in a game and the momentum's with Ireland. And the second thing, just the... The way that they attacked us, it's like they had us figured out. They knew mm. Bodie was going to shoot out of the line and make a bad defensive decision. They put runners around him to choose. And that I think it was the try that um, Henshaw, the centre, scored. Yeah. Bodie's up and he's actually tackled no one. And they've just slipped a nice little outside ball to a runner on the inside of Bodie. And he's, he's scored untouched. And then if you flip it around, when the Irish were defending us, Geez, we look one-dimensional. And I got that appreciation from watching from the sideline at the stadium, just seeing the number of dudes that they had on their feet and knew the rucks they wanted to attack and the rucks they were going to leave alone. And they were coming up and putting pressure on guys and the right guys just by sheer virtue of the fact that they'd watched a bit of tape and knew that, you know, when someone tags out to Harvey Lee, he's going to take a couple of steps and there's a chance to tackle him behind the game line. They know if they put defensive line speed on our forwards, they're, they're not the most skillful bunch, so they can get some gains there. The first contact's way behind the game line. They're going to back the likes of, I think it's Tag Burn just coming over and he got three mm. steals in the game. And the fact that our guys can't react, and I'm kind of okay with it in the first 10 or so, but then the leaders need to stand up and say, hey, we're getting beaten in these areas of the park. What's going to change? But frankly, we had the worst first half I've seen in a couple of years. And then we come out after half time and scored a couple of tries, one through individual brilliance to Artie Severe. And the second one manufactured off an inside pass where we found some space, but it's the only inside pass we throw the whole game. Mm. So I just think, you know, for a team that's supposed to be this excellent machine who figures teams out, wears them down, often wins games in the last 15 or so, we had a couple of moments there putting Akira against some weaker defenders and sending the pace of Will Jordan on the inside of a runner that were never used again in the whole course of the 80 minutes. And you're wondering why we're on the wrong side of the scoreline. I just think, you know, overcoached, overplanning, not playing what we see and not having enough leadership ticker to, to make a decision in the game. I think a lot of what I've read um, in the media this week is the fact that the team isn't playing like a team and they've become very reliant on certain individuals. You know, I know you picked out Adi Sevilla. Will Jordan's probably another one that they 
well, I guess they didn't miss in the first test because they won it, but I, I'm thinking they would have loved to have started him in the second test rather than bring him off the pine. Um, but of course he had COVID and whatnot. But you talk about um, almost overcoaching and overplanning. I almost feel like it's the opposite because like you said, we don't seem to have a plan B when teams figure us out. So if you, if you look to that first test um, and, and granted I've stolen a bit of this analysis um, from some guys off YouTube, but if you look at the width in which we played in, in the first test and the amount of clean pill that Aaron Smith had and how, and how that generated go forward. And then if you compare that to what happened in the second test, where the Irish seemingly figured out that we wanted to play that wide game, that it was, it was almost as if, it, as if Aaron Smith was playing that, that third man. So almost like your typical cleaner yep. um, off a pod. And every time we hit that guy, they chop him, get over the ball and win a penalty. And it's like, okay, well, I get that you want to be aggressive and you don't want to let the other team dictate how you're going to play. But if they've figured it out and it's not working, like you said, I think that's when the, the leaders need to step up. But surely we, we have a plan B or a bailout option. Um, and so, yeah, is that, is that a reflection of Ian Foster not giving the guys one? Or is that a reflection of Sam Kane, Bowden Barrett, Aaron Smith, the spine? not stepping up and being like okay fuck this isn't working and i mean like don't get me wrong like when you get to that level like that like the margin is so fine um and coaching does have an integral part but like you know all of those guys are guys who a lot of people would consider world-class legendary players right and they've played enough rugby to know that you know like shit isn't always going to go your way and that a lot of the time you have to be reactive but you know, the reaction that we've seen in games two and three against the Irish um, have been just bewilderment. I mean, like, they, they panned to the team under the posts after that Henshaw try, and everybody was just like, fuck, how did that happen? There was no, like, come on, boys, let's all get together. It was, yeah, very unlike, um, I guess, what me and you and a lot of other All Black fans have been blessed with over the last decade, with yeah, the boys being a team and, you know, like, being able to overcome adversary in the heat of the moment. Yeah, I think as well, the team and the way they're talking in the media and the way that we're seeing the reactions in-game suggests to me that there's not a clear leader who's ready to stamp his authority all over any given moment. And what I mean by that is if something's not working in the game, you'd always know that Richie was going to say something under the sticks, or even Kieran Reid was another good example of it, where take the Lions test where Kieran Reid said, right, time out, we're going to kick this short, we're going to regather the... In fact, I think it was against Australia and Dunedin. We're going to kick this short. I'm going to get up, rebound it back. We're going to play some phases. And that's how we're going to kind of go about making a difference in this game. Mm -hmm. Here in Dunedin, yeah, I agree with you. They targeted our C run and they put pressure on him and got some gains there. So our solution to that problem was in the first 10 minutes or so in Wellington, there's a line out just outside the 22 and we're firing it to Bodie. Not kicking is probably his fourth best discipline. He's sending up bombs against the Northern Hemisphere side when we're hot on attack from good lineup ball. I just, so many parts of the picture just aren't making sense to me right now. And I'm just wondering whether um, either Foster, so to my point, I think they're sort of overcoaching, not necessarily in the way of, I agree with you, there's plan A, I don't think there's plan B, but I also think the players are scared to implement something else for fear of either backlash or what it's going to look like because there's just no confidence amongst the group now. No one wants yeah. to pull the trigger and be the one, you know, potentially responsible in a review type situation saying, you know, why did you do this? Why did you go away from the game plan, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't have the silver bullet for it 
at all, apart from to say we need a leader, both in the coaching space and the captaincy space, who guys respect. They want to follow. I think two-thirds of our team are of Māori or Pacifica descent. Those guys buy into a higher purpose. Look what Leo McDonald's done with the Blues. These boys play for their families, their culture, their region. That's why they're going so well all of a sudden. Um, and that same kind of buy-in isn't there to me in the All Blacks. It's why we see a kid having a great game and then a not-so-good one. It's why we're not seeing the best of sort of Aaron Smith and these other guys. They just don't seem to be playing for each other. And that, I think Artie alluded to, to it when he said we need to find our mana on Sunday. They just don't have that same desire to pull on the black jersey and do a good job for the team. So that's a lot of eerie, fairy stuff, to be honest, bro. But the point is there's, there's a thousand issues that have been papered over by the fact that we are winning games and had good enough players to get us out of situations now we're coming up against 15 guys in the opposition in Ireland or France, or it'll be the Springboks next. They're actually good enough to foot it with us as rugby players, and we need to play as a team with a clear game plan. And that's been missing. Like, if you can if you can tell me what the clear game plan was to beat Ireland across the three tests, I'll pay you some good money to go and coach the All Blacks because I just think it's the plan was different for all three tests. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to fathom, you know, the idea of looking for leadership when Bowden Barrett 100 tests, Aaron Smith 100 tests, Sam Whitelock 130 tests, Brody Retallick closing on 100 tests. I'm pretty sure every single Super Rugby captain is in the All Blacks, is in the current All Black squad. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I'm lost for words, bro. Like I said, I, I just wanted the opportunity to vent. Um, <laughs> and 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 part of my venting is gonna be with Ian Foster. I mean, I, I think I've already touched on it, but. Yeah, I mean, he's been the man in the headlines and as head coach, I mean, you're always going to be subject to the brunt of the blame. But given what's happened in the in the last fortnight and what started, arguably, I mean, you could go back to when he was first appointed, but I'm going to go only go back eight months to when we first lost to the Irish. From now, you know, as we're currently talking up until the World Cup next year, can he turn the side around? And if not... Does a change need to happen this week? Yeah, or what I mean to say is sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would bin him. I would bin him. Um, and I'd do it as soon as possible because I think he's lost the confidence of the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's clear, that's clear in the media. Look at the way Colsey's reacting. Um, this is a guy who's often like the heartbeat of the All Blacks. And if, he, um, if he's looking a bit down, that probably reflects the mood of the team. And also the way Artie's sort of talking about mana and that kind of thing, I just get the sense that he's lost the players either confidence and or respect. I think he's also lost the confidence of the executive. So I kind of liken it to like if a if a minister in cabinet isn't performing and has, he's lost the confidence of he or she's lost the confidence of the PM, then they've got to go. Like there's no way back from that point. So for NZ Rugby, Mark Robinson, Prime Minister of New Zealand Rugby, comes out and basically puts them on notice via a public statement. I mean, there's nowhere really to go. My working hypothesis is that he was offered to resign either today or maybe whenever said meeting occurred, resign and will have said, right, if you don't bring home the Bledisloe, which they've always said is the second most important cup apart from the World Cup. Um, if you don't bring home the Bledisloe and the Rugby Championship, then, then we'll make the change. So... Um, I think that's that's kind of where it lies in terms of what I would do. So I would get rid of him tomorrow if it was up to me. Um, and I'd bring in Joe Schmidt. 
straight away as the caretaker coach for South Africa, deal with that, but tell Razor that he's got the reins for the first home test of the rugby championship and then just let him build from there, give him the confidence and say, it's you till the World Cup and then we'll reassess after that. But I think every day that you waste on a regime and with coaches that you've lost the confidence in, it's just, a, it's just exactly that, a day wasted. 100% bro, couldn't agree more. I mean, the only... I guess, conundrum with what you're suggesting with having Schmidt take over for the South African League and then have uh, Robertson come in to take over from then on is how they pick the squad. So is he? Is, so would Razor pick the 36-man squad that goes to South Africa? No, I think, I think Joe Schmidt would do that. Um, I'd leave Razor at home and let him sort of do the preparation on this side of the sea. Uh, Joe Schmidt can go over there. He's already... You've got a case, a case in point when he stepped in during the COVID, the COVID issue for our coaches and delivered our only win of this season. And I think, I think that's the sort of role that Schmidt's after. He's done the head coaching gig with Ireland. He knows that that's really taxing on the on the family. So I, I think for him to go to South Africa for a short period of time, you just say your job is to be a caretaker coach for the short period. Come back, then it's Razor and Joe Schmidt goes or, or elevates himself to director of rugby like Gatland is at the Chiefs or become head selector and steps into the role uh, or back into a selection type role. I think he'd appreciate that more than, than perhaps being the head coach moving forward. But in terms of how that 36 gets picked for the rugby championship, I'd probably see it as kind of a co-job of, of Razor and, and Joe Schmidt. But Joe Schmidt does the travelling initially and lets Razor do some prep here because it has got a long season once once the boys get back from South Africa to implement some change and get it right. I think the other interesting point is what happens with the assistant coaches. Um, presumably, Razor's got some favourites, and in my mind, it's the scrum coach down at the Crusaders. I think it's Jason Ryan. Mm-hmm. I almost certainly want him involved. I think Brad Moore is already involved with the All Blacks. He's ex, ex-Canterbury, and Razor will probably keep him, but question mark over you know, John Plumtree's one. Um, whether there's sort of other management within that all black setup that Razor would prefer to see replaced. I think that's an interesting question too, because he won't say it's unlikely that he'd say, yep, I'll be the coach, but I'm bringing no one with me. <laughs> you know, coaches have their favorites and they, he'll want the best team he can if he's going to deliver a world cup, which will be the expectation. Mm-hmm. Park that because I was that, that you you've sort of jumped the gun for me, bro. Um, talking about the assistant coaches, but yeah, the, the fact that you mentioned the All Blacks only one of the series came. Um, yeah, just the irony, the fact that it it came in a week that Ian Foster had less involvement with the yeah. playing group. Um, but yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, bro. I think he has to go. I mean, I've vented on this podcast many a time about how I didn't think he was the guy. Um, I like my All Black coach. Um, to either be somewhat of a genius, um, to which you'd, to which you'd point to someone like a Tony Brown or yeah. a Wayne Smith, or you know a hard ass who just oozes sort of an arrogance or a confidence, a la Steve Hansen. And Ian Foster was neither of those two. Um, you know, but I think I've re- I'll repeat it again. Can you imagine Ian Foster telling Artie Sevier off in a training for yeah. making a mistake? I, I just couldn't picture it. And on the flip side, I couldn't see him, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen what his rev up speech was at halftime yeah. on Saturday. I, I don't think he would have done it. I, I think that would have probably fallen um, on John Plumtree um, because, 
you know, he, he is headmaster like um, in the way he operates. But yeah, I just wanted to rattle off a couple of stats, bro. You know, I know that um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram stuff have been flooded with them. But as it currently stands um, in the professional era, he's got the worst win percentage of any all-black coach he's the first all-black coach to lose to argentina um the 19 points that the all-blacks trailed by at halftime was the largest deficit ever for an all-black side um he's one of only three all-black coaches to have um lost games by lost four games by double digits uh the other two were steve hansen and john hart um both of well Steve Hansen coached 109 games, John Hart 50, and Ian Foster's only been in charge for 24. Yeah, first um, series loss at home since 94. Uh, that was the French, of course. And then the first time we've lost back-to-back tests at home since 1998, yeah, when Hart was involved. So, yeah, I mean, like, there have been a lot of firsts um, and not good ones for Ian Foster. So, yeah, he has to go. But you mentioned Plumtree and there being a possible clean out of the assistants and any other management staff um, should Razor get um, the job or any other coach come in. How much blame, you know, again, the head coach is always going to shoulder the brunt of it, but, you know, like rugby is a team sport, um, both with the players on the field and the coaching staff that surround the head coach. And and, I, and I'm picking on Plumtree because, I mean, yes, our our backs weren't brilliant, sorry, but I mean, like, I feel like the bulk of the concern comes in the forwards. So, you know, you look to the line out, six lost line outs across the last two games. Um, the difference in handling in comparison to the Irish pack, I know that at the end of last year, there were a lot of people that were um, pretty critical of the All Blacks' inability to play with width from their forwards or just have, have that sort of, that, that, that nous, you know, the way in which we saw the Irish pretty much puncture our defense every single time they got a touch of the ball. Our players just don't seem to be capable of that or have the confidence to do so. So yeah, like how much blame does Plumtree have to take on this? And then, yeah, we've mentioned Sam Kane as well. You know, he doesn't seem to have that calming effect um, like we've seen in the past with Richie McCaw, Kieran Reed, even Sam Whitelock to a certain extent, bro. So yeah, I mean, we can point the finger at Ian Foster um, all we want, but, as much as I don't like him as a coach, I I, I'm, I know teams and, and sport well enough to know that, you know, like one guy can't be to blame for everything. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I, I have to disclose sort of a, a conflict of interest. I know John relatively well. He's come to a few OBU trainings and, and coached. And I think the one thing that he'll that'll really stick in his craw is he's a tough bugger and he's He's done the coaching in South Africa. He turned that Hurricanes forward pack around. You remember they won the Super Rugby title with a bunch of no-names um, in it. It's just the sheer fact that we've been beaten in the contact zones and the margin by which we've been beaten. It's not just sort of the occasional five or ten minutes where the Irish got over top of us or perhaps we're not tackling as hard as we should be. Um, I think it will be the fact that at the, the, the contact zones, so the clean-out areas, always carrying into contact, um, and just sheer getting over the game line. We've been beaten to the punch in all three of those facets. So that'll stick in the crawl for him. And I think the wide sort of withhold saying it's kind of all his fault is that in those three aspects, it's not necessarily all about technique or cohesiveness. It's just sort of a, a willingness <laughs> to go in there at 100%. We've, we've talked about it sort of with our club side as well, bro, where you can coach the nicest feet and the nicest body position, but if you're going in at 80% and someone's flying at you at 100, you've got a problem. 
And mm. I think the Irish were so passionate, so together. They understood the game plan. They weren't playing with confusion or a lack of alignment. They understood their defensive system, who was pushing up, so they could all go 100% at once. And in a lot of ways, I think that there was a little bit of confusion or doubts or guys looking beside each other and not being able to commit fully to a game plan. And that that kind of sheets home when you when you go into those contact areas. And I think it played out that way. I think the other thing, the line out has been a bugbear of mine for some time because we were blessed for so many years, all those years, with Kieran Reid effectively operating like a number eight and like a lock with that guaranteed supply of ball. And we just haven't been willing. Scott Barrett's um, sort of injury or unavailability was annoying. And then, of course, um, of course, the red card in the second test as well. But we just don't have that third line-out option where we're just getting our guaranteed supply of ball from. Artie does an okay job, but he's pretty short. So I think in that loose trio makeup, it's another point I wanted to make to you is I really want to see a nice tall unit, whether it's Tupo Vai. I really like the look of Cullen Grace. It's unfortunate that Ethan Blackadder got injured because he's he's kind of in that category as well. Someone that's going to guarantee you some line-out ball and be able to kind of coalesce as an enforcer or as Reid did for years, operate on the front, on the edges um, with a great skill set. Um, I am sort of reluctant to, I think we have so many widespread issues that it's hard to just say it's John Plumtree's fault or, you know, Greg Feek, whatever part he plays or Brad Moore, whatever part he plays. I think, I also thought I would look at our club comp as well. I think the NPC's taken a dive in terms of its quality. I think Super Rugby is not the competition that the Heineken trophy is or the premiership or whatever it's called up there the intensity at which the iris forwards play their club footy is just streets ahead i think of super rugby so i think that's got a part to play as well i mean they're they're operating at near test level every single week they're used to the pressure white hot atmosphere you know big collisions all of that kind of thing and we you know unless you're playing the blues or the crusaders you kind of step down and quality and then especially when the Aussie sides come over I think our super rugby sides think it's a bit easy so that's all to say there's a lot on the radar in terms of what's to blame so I'd say Plumtree's got a small part but not the whole part maybe as you're <laughs> alluding to there Geordie <laughs> Diplomatic I like it I like it but yeah, but, but but still with some um with some constructive criticism but yeah I, you, you're right to look at, you know, maybe beyond the players and the coaching group and, you know, turn an eye to the board who appointed Ian Foster and then granted him an, ex- an extension through to the World Cup off the back of games against Fiji, Tonga and Australia, you know, whipping boys um, for us uh, historically. But this, nothing like, like when I, when I look at, over the course of Ian Foster's tenure, you know, and granted, you know, like 2020 um, would have been tough with COVID coming in and that probably would have wrecked a lot of his plans going into the rugby championship or, you know, whatever series we were going to start the year off with. But there has been no progression in the All Blacks and there's been no consistency, you know, like going into the series, there were still question marks on who our spine was going to be. And, I understand that, you know, you you want to reward form and when guys are out of form, maybe, you know, it, it pays to give them a bit of a break. But I just thought that, you know, the closer and closer we got to the World Cup and the fact that we, you know, we, we still hadn't known who our team was, known who our 15 was, known who our midfield was. Um, maybe outside of like, if, 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 I, if I were to name the team, you know, you'd, you'd go Retallick, Whitelock, 
Sevilla and Smith. Now I know that you know Kane was probably a certainty, but he arguably didn't deserve his spot in the team. Like on form and how he played towards the back end of last year. Again, I know that he was injured. You know, did he deserve to be an All Black? Was he only picked because he was captain? Like you looked at Saturday, he was he was taken off with fifteen to go. Yeah. You know, like that never happened to McCaw. Yeah, I agree. So like the, there's the inconsistency. Yeah, and selection, you know, going into games, you know, tactical changes in the game, um, game plans, you know, the way at which we're playing teams, we haven't really stuck to um, one script and looked to nail that. Yeah, it's just it's just been a real kerfuffle across the board. Excuse the pun, bro. Um, but the but I did the bugbear of mine is the board thing and the reappointment or the extension, whatever you want to call it, of Foster. You talked about rewarding form. I think that applies to coaches as well. So you got Robertson waiting in the wings. He's won every single title that's appeared in front of him. Canterbury Crusaders, you name it. He's pulling stuff. You know, they're, they're the clear favourites and they won all their games and they have finals in Christchurch. That's one thing. How about this year? They're the second. They go up to Eden Park and they just pump the Blues in the final. Like That's literally two different scenarios. They've been to South Africa and beaten the Lions. On the flip side, like you said, Foster gets reappointed off the back of whipping up a few Pacific Islands and consistently leading the Chiefs to sixth and seventh. You know, I just, <laughs> for the life of me, I can't see how that deserved a contract extension. And actually, if you're saying, well, you know, we like to, we like the continuity of coaches, we like the fact that he was under the Hanson regime, the Hanson regime was on the fucking downward slide. He was the coach when they put Scott Barrett at six and we got molested by England in the Rugby World Cup uh, semi final. So, if that's the case, then the foresight of the board to not even be able to step back and say, no, actually, Steve Hansen peaked in about 2015. By the time I got to 19, he was actually on this side of the curve. We need to freshen up. But actually, all we've done is just continue on that regime downhill, and now we're <laughs> we're at rock bottom, fourth in the world, lost four of our last five tests, and no one's scared of us anymore. So that was one point I wanted to pick on. And then you're right, the, the selection inconsistency is what it is it's just bizarre like if you can tell me right now who our best midfielder is in the country i'll give you a hundred bucks like who's starting in the midfield for us if the if the we're in a semi-final at the world cup tomorrow i'd have no idea i'd have literally no idea the loose trio the same who's the captain not sure who's our best winger not sure it's just it's just crazy and i think we were kind of discussing off here if, if we're worried about being beaten up in the forwards, do we put Bodie in the 10 jersey or do we put Moanga in it? Because Bodie, I think, is still our best first five, but that's only when he's got go forward ball or when Aaron Smith can kind of fire him nice clean pill. When it's a bit messy or whatever, maybe Richie's that guy. So the fact that we just have so many question marks on answers is a different spot to find ourselves in. And we need a strong, to your point, we need a strong personality to pull us out of it both wearing the captain's armband and the coaching hat. And I suspect that's Razor probably with Artie Savia, who will have the respect of the entire dressing room purely because he's the best player in the team. Um, but also the way in which he plays, it's a follow me leader type mentality. Um, and you'll get guys playing for that sort of higher purpose, as I as I sort of mentioned before. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Kane either. And like I mentioned, he has been injured um more often than not the past couple of years but yeah i think he's just the unfortunate victim um from being anointed and i mean he was groomed to become an all-black captain you know this dates back to 2015 when he was captain against namibia at the world cup but 
yeah, he's uh, unfortunately, you know, he's become, yeah, just a, a real, a real pain in the ass for all black supporters. Um, yeah. Th- through no fault of his own, bro. Through no fault of his own, bro. And you could say the same thing about Foster. Foster doesn't didn't pick himself to become the All Black. It's not like he was in charge of who got picked. That was ultimately a decision that was left to the board. And then, yeah, as we saw, they they reappointed him off the back of not very strong competition. So I think, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I've only ever seen one All Black coach in history be reappointed off the back of a few failures, and that was Graham Henry. But I think think even Henry would say that was a function of Robbie Dean's fronting up to those interviews without a clear plan, without a clear team. So Henry sort of sailed in on the back of not necessarily his own grand plans or his coaching team or anything like that. It was also massively helped by the fact that the alternative wasn't that great or wasn't that clear. Mm. Um, in this situation, there's a clear counterfactual, which is Razor, ready to go. Yes, he's not tested at international level, but neither was Foster. Your alternative, you know what it is. It's going to be more of the same. And it's not working. So are we just going to keep repeating ourselves or are we actually going to go out on a limb a year before a World Cup would probably be the absolute bare minimum to implement some change that might work? Or are we just going to say, oh, look. And I was reading in the media, I think Justin Marshall might have said something around, oh, look, I'm not sure if Razor would want the role. It's a bit of a hand grenade role um, right now because the All Blacks are so dysfunctional. I just think that's bullshit. Because for me, it's a free pass for him. Mm. If he takes it and he's an overnight success, the country loves him. If he loses a couple of games, people say, oh, well, his structures are just beating in. And then even he probably gets that, he probably gets that leeway right through to the World Cup and say, oh, no, we need to reappoint him because we only got a year of him. We want to see what he can do in three. So I think it's very much like Brendan McCullum taking over the England test cricket role. Not a heap of downside and all upside in terms of what you can implement. Guys will be keen to change. It just seems like it's the right time and we should pull the trigger now before we kind of risk the Bledisloe Cup on this current regime. Bro, I don't, I, I've got nothing else to add to that, bro, and I think that's the perfect way to wrap up this podcast. Um, unless you've got anything else? No, just thanks for welcoming me on, Geordie. You've had some some big names. Good to good to throw a small dog in that pile. <laughs> hey, mate, um, anyone who's got the time to, to chat some code with me on air, um, I, I, I am eternally grateful for bro. So yeah, my man, just want to say thank you again and I'll catch you at training on Wednesday. All good. Cheers, Jordy. Talk soon. Peace.